Welcome, welcome, welcome. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Bell Ringer podcast, hosted by Sixers Wire of USA Today Sports Media Group. I'm your host, the editor of the Sixers Wire site, Kai Carlin. I got my guy with me, the hardest working man in show business, Cameron Fields. Cam, what's going on, bro? Man, nothing much, Kai. I don't know about all hardest working man in show business. You know, that that's the James Brown. Rest hey. in peace. But, uh, you know, good. I hope you're having a good weekend, bro. How's your weekend going? My weekend is good. I'm just filled with lots and lots and lots and lots of basketball. It has been oh yeah. It has been absolutely glorious. Scrimmage game started uh July twenty second. Um today's July twenty-fifth. We're a couple of days into these glorious scrimmages and and so far, Cam, the bubble seems to be working. There are zero positive coronavirus tests since the league went into the bubble. Now, I know everybody's freaking out. What about Michael Beasley? What about, um, you know, so-and-so and Eric Bledsoe and everybody else? Beasley yeah. was – Beasley tested positive in a separate hotel that was on the campus but not in the bubble. So it was like he wasn't inside the bubble. Once he tested positive okay. – he wasn't even a, he didn't even go inside the bubble. Right. He was like in this separate hotel, like on the NBA campus per se, but not inside the bubble. That, that's like kind of how I was reading it from ESPN. So the bubble seems to be working, Cam. It really, it really does. I mean, you have to really give the NBA props to the protocols that they've put in place because I know, you know, with Zion uh, coming back Friday night and he has to do that four day quarantine period you really kind of create an environment where it's like, okay, we're not going to allow, um, you know, the illness to kind of fester just within the space. Uh, so anyone who ends up having it, they're like, okay, you got to go. Right. Um, and then they're making sure that, you know, they test often. And, you know, I, I like also too, when guys are coming in, you know, they make sure that they quarantine and, and clear the protocols uh, you know, pretty well. So I think it's a good system that they have set up. Yeah, I saw what they did with the Heat with Bam Adebayo and Kendrick Nunn. Like, they were late joining uh, Miami, but when they did get reach the campus, they had to remain in quarantine for like a week or something like that before they could rejoin the team in practice. Uh, anywho, guys, the Philadelphia 76ers have actually played a real basketball game, yes, for the first time since March 11th. The Sixers took the hardwood on Friday afternoon. It took on the Memphis Grizzlies, and – it was quite a successful uh, return to the hardwood. Philadelphia led by as many as 29 points on their way to a 90-83 to 83 victory over the Memphis Grizzlies in Friday's uh, first of three scrimmage games for the Sixers. Now, Cam, Ben Simmons, he made his debut over at the power forward spot. Uh, yep. A move that Brett Brown likes to call, I'm going to put in quotations, the honey spot for him on the floor. And Ben Simmons is shooting threes now, Cam. He took two three-pointers. First time in the game, he's, took, he's taken more than one. His first shot attempt was a corner three uh, in the first quarter. And then in the second half, he made a three-pointer. So he went one for two from deep. Uh, but now the question now is, Cam, is, uh, okay, you made one. What now? You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, right. you got to be able to do this consistently in game after game after game now. Well, I mean, you know, I think it's baby steps, right? So it's like, yeah, what now? But maybe it gets to a point where he shoots like one a game. You know, that can be maybe a good starting point for him because you're not going to go from shooting no threes a game to shooting like four a game. You know what I mean? Like that's just not going to happen. 
you know, I do, I do think that he's looking more comfortable uh, shooting those threes. And I, I saw a report from Jackie McMullen uh, of ESPN that he, you know, was with a sports psychologist in terms of getting him more comfortable um, shooting threes and, you know, just getting more acclimated with that. So I think that it's good that he's moving toward this. And I, but I still think, though, that it's important for baby steps uh, because, like I said, you're not going to go from shooting, like, no threes to just shooting all the threes you want, you know? No, for sure. And I, and I do agree with you. I do believe that if Philadelphia could get Ben Simmons shooting somewhere between one, maybe two threes a night, then I feel like that's a successful start to this uh, season resumption down in, in, uh, in Orlando. But the key is, and, and I've said this before, Ben Simmons is a top 15 player. He's one of the elite players in the game, whether it be offensively, defensively. The things he does on the court are, are just absolutely incredible. But what's holding him back is that three-point shot. And if he can unlock that part of his game cam, then all of a sudden the Sixers offense just becomes a lot more, I want to say, dynamic. Just for the yeah. simple fact that not only will you have to worry about Joel and, uh, and Tobias and and right. uh, Josh Richardson, now you have to worry about Ben Simmons not only coming down and dunking on your head, now you have to worry about him actually stepping out and knocking down some jump shots. And that's going to take the, his game and really the Sixers' offense to the next level. So they got two more scrimmage games. They play Oklahoma City on uh, Sunday, tomorrow, and then they play the Dallas Mavericks before things officially get underway August 1st against Indiana. So in these next two games, Cam, I, want, I would like to see Ben take two threes a game each, at least, you know, in each of those games. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's, it's also important that, you know, he doesn't force it, you know, too, because it's all about shooting it within the flow of that offense. So when he made that corner three, you know, that was an open shot. That, that was a good shot. Um, and that was a shot that he should have taken. But it's also important that, you know, he really doesn't try and shoot too many pull-ups. I think that catch and shoot is something that would be good for him right now just because, you know, you shoot like a pull-up three or shoot a three off the dribble, that's a totally different um, shot than a catch-and-shoot than a spot-up jumper. So, um, and then also, too, just to add, I really like the play, the pace that they played with, uh, especially throughout that first half. They played so fast when, you know, they got the rebound and they just went. And uh, I, I think that's really the pace that they're going to have to play with I also like that the, the dribble handoff actions that they put Joel Embiid in at times. So I think Joel Embiid is better served, um, you know, moving around and shooting some mid-range jumpers as opposed to like, you know, shooting trail three-pointers or shooting like spot-up three-pointers because I don't think Joel Embiid is really a long-range shooter like that. So no, neither, neither I why. Yeah, like he's just not like he's just not there. But I I do think that the mid-range shots off of the dribble handoffs getting him in some action so he can get open would be good for him. Yeah, I mean like the way they're going to make Joel effective offensively is if they can keep him you know towards the basket inside the post because Joel Embiid statistically is the best post player in the NBA. And they can you can look this up on yeah. nbastats.com for you people out there. Joel Embiid, I think, I think the number was 1.12 points per possession every time he touches the ball in the post. 
That's number one in the league. So the, the thing is, if they can keep him as close to the basket as much as they can, then the offense just becomes that much more, again, I'm going to go back to that word, dynamic. And the way you do that is if you can space the floor properly enough to make sure he has enough room to operate down there, which is why Ben Simmons has to be able to show off a jump shot. Or Brett Brown mentioned another thing, and you and I talked about this on the last podcast, you play the high-low game with Ben at the high and Joe at the low, and then you kind of go from there and and see if that works. But the easiest way to do it would be able to kind of make sure everybody is able to shoot (laughs) around Joel. That would give him – it would be kind of like what Orlando did with Dwight Howard. Yeah, basically. I mean, the thing is, uh, Josh Richardson, too, and uh, Tobias Harris, they're going to be so key, especially in the transition game, because, uh, you know, you see that no-look lob pass that Ben had to Tobias Harris, and it's like, hey, this team could be special in transition. And also, I remember seeing uh, Josh Richardson have a really good uh, mid-range pull-up jumper. So the thing is, Philly's half-court offense is nowhere near as good as its transition offense. But if they right. can make the shots, if they can make the shots that are available at a consistent rate in their half-court offense, then I think they will be just fine. The thing is, sometimes they just do not get a good shot. And a lot of that is due to spacing. Um, you know, sometimes, I mentioned this, Joel Embiid gets so stuck in the post because he's not a good passer out of the post. So sometimes teams will load up on him, double team, and he'll just get into like the worst of situations and it'll be a turnover or he'll just end up shooting a bad shot. So that's something that they're going to have to look at as well because, um, you know, teams do often try and send multiple guys at him once he secures position in the post. Agreed. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it like this. Um, the way that the Sixers are going to succeed, they're going to do it in two ways. One is what you mentioned earlier. They have got to run. And that's why Ben, and that's why ben got moved over to the floor. Brett wants to use Ben's speed. As soon as Ben grabs that rebound, then go. Just go. And Brett mentioned it after the game yesterday. Ben is still going to handle the ball. It's not like Ben is and, – and, yeah, you and I have talked about this before. Ben's not going to just all of a sudden play off the ball and never touch it again or initiate offense that way. Right. But the way the Sixers are going to succeed offensively is going to be able to use that speed with Ben, Shake, Josh, Tobias, athletes, just go. And then in the half-court offense, Joel's passing out of the double teams is going to be key. Like, is Joel going to be able to make the right reads? And Brett mentioned it uh, the other day. The Sixers are going to send waves and waves and waves of defenders at him in practice to make sure he is ready for these. Yeah, he can. Yeah. Because it's going to come in the playoffs. Like, if they were to play Boston Cam, what do you think? The Celtics are going to send Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and and everybody else. And, you know, they're going to throw the the house at Joel. As soon as he touches it in the post, he's got to be able to make the right read. Right. I mean, the thing is, it, it it's about just being patient down there because he'll he'll get into situations where a guy will be coming up from behind him on his you know blind side he can't even see him and like he'll steal the ball or he'll the, the guy will steal the ball or Joel Embiid will lose the ball and it'll just be a bad situation all around. So sometimes and this falls too on whoever's handling the ball. Sometimes the post just isn't there. So you know maybe you got to swing it back around. Joel Embiid repost, 
or you know, like I said, just the post the post up isn't there. Do something else uh, in your offense that play. Uh, so you know the, the whole entire team has to be able to read that as well and read the situation. Yeah, like I was actually about to mention that because there are so many times where I feel like Joel gets in the post, he gets double teamed, and there are so many times where the, the guys on the perimeter do not make the right cuts. And where like Joel yeah. could like kind of like drop it off or a layup or something. Or they'll but, just like, stay where they are, yeah. Right, and and you know what? Like they could probably use a lot more movement inside this offense. You know, be able to just kind of like go back around and 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 see what you can do with that. But the Sixers as a whole yesterday, I thought they looked very. I thought they looked different. I thought they looked different in a vibe to where they're much faster. That pace you right. think, a lot, very fast, yeah. That pace that you keep mentioning, that's a pace this team should continue to play with from here on out because of yeah. the guys they have on this roster, Cam. Ben, Joe, Ben, uh, Tobias, Josh, Shake can, can get can, uh, get out and run. Matisse, Matisse is another one. Yep. Yeah. And we Matisse. That man from him yesterday. Yeah, that big dunk on Jaron on Jaren Jackson Jr. too, of all people. Jaron Jackson Jr., very good player. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very good player. And, and, you know, my man went up there and just yammed it on him. And uh, Ben Simmons and Matisse have been talking shit in practice, Cam. That was, that was the quote. Uh, ben said he's been talking a lot, chirping a little bit, which, honestly, you don't okay. expect out of Matisse Thibel. You just don't. Hey, he's kind of, like, coming into himself, man. No, uh, when I saw him driving downhill like that, oh, I'm like, oh, he's about to just jam this on his head. And I was like, when he did it, I was like, oh, man, that was, that was crazy because – he just he just did it with so much decisiveness. I mean, um, Matisse he's, he's gonna be a key player off the bench for them, especially. Uh, I, I forget what who all was in the lineup, but uh, the commentators at one point were talking about you know the speed lineup. I think it was like um, Ben, uh, maybe like Josh Richardson or something, or but in, either way, who who all was in the lineup? It was a very fast lineup. So like you said, if they, if they can find you know multiple ways to just um, get out in transition as much as possible. I think they're going to be a very dangerous team because, um, you know, especially in the playoffs where teams try and slow you down, if you can have spurts where you're playing fast, then that can help swing momentum. Wow, the New York Knicks actually just hired Tom Thibodeau. Okay. Wow, I said this just did. <laughs> yeah, legit. Like, you know, like, uh, I'm, not, I'm not too surprised about that. I mean, because, you know, Woj is back from his suspension, and Woj just tweeted out that uh, the, the Knicks are hiring Tom Thibodeau on a five-year deal to make him the, the new head coach. Wow. So Tommy Tibbs. Oh, you know, he, he's going to run Kevin Knox into the ground now. I'm so mad. <laughs> like, there goes Kevin Knox and R.J. Barrett's career. Damn I it. Mean, okay. I mean, let's be real, though. In his first two seasons, what has Kevin Knox really shown? No, no, no. I'm still believing in Kevin Knox. I mean, look, we he still got some time, but I'm just saying. No, no, no. No, no, no Kevin Knox slander. All no. right. No. I mean, you know, the Knicks, uh, the Knicks. Now see the, the Knicks slander all because you know they're 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 the Knicks. But leave Kevin Knox out the of it. The Browns, the Cleveland Browns of the NBA. Oh, excuse me. You mean the Detroit Lions of the NBA? I think you need to relax there a little bit. As, like real quick, back to Sixers basketball. 
Shake Milton didn't look all that bad either. I mean, Shake Milton stepped in. He had six points. He had three assists. I, th- I think he, I think he played like 17 minutes. He didn't play too much. And honestly, I thought Shake made a little bit of a difference, Cam, because there were so many times uh, to me that I saw that Philly dumped the ball to either Joel or Al, whoever was at center, and they had room. Like defenders had right. realized that they can't That's leave Shake. Yeah. So I feel like the like the beginning of this whole shake process, I thought it looked pretty good. Just for the simple fact that the Sixers actually had some space to operate on offense. Right. And see, the thing is, with, with shake at point guard, he, he doesn't need to be, um, you know, some outstanding scorer. He doesn't need to be Damian Lillard or anything. And it, he needs to be like a, a borderline game manager almost. Uh, you know, just shoot the threes when you're open, get your, get your shots. and you know, just facilitate. So, I mean, almost, almost like what a George Hill kind of, kind of role. So, right. um, you know, he, he doesn't need to be this like ultra score. Uh, he doesn't need to, you know, really take over games or anything. Now, if he ends up doing that, then cool. But uh, that, that's not really his role. So the, just to be able to facilitate for others and, and shoot your shot when it's there, I think that's going to be good for him and good for Philly. Yeah, and Shake shot one for two from deep, uh, but the good that the looks he got were like wide open looks, and yeah. and I think that that's just going to really enhance this Sixers offense because a lot of people think of Philadelphia's offense and they really think of Ben and Joel pick and rolls, and they they think of Tobias just kind of camping out from deep, and they think of Al just clogging up the middle there. You know, like, yeah. like there, there are a couple of, like, things you think of this Sixer offense, and unfortunately, nobody thinks of the amount of speed this team has and the amount right. of – like, there are some shooters on this roster too, Cam. Everybody thinks that this team doesn't have any shooters, but when you realize yeah. they have Shake, Furkan, um, Matisse – Matisse is still getting there, but Matisse had that stretch. And, like, I think it was, like, early December until about maybe the end of January where just he was on fire from deep before yeah. he slumped going into the league suspension. So Matisse has a little bit of a shot. Um, you know, we all know Josh and Tobias can shoot. They're not sharpshooters, but they're capable shooters. And Exactly. And, and I feel like if Brett Brown can find a way, utilize them in a way to where you can have them open, have them space the floor, and continue. And ball off ball movement is another thing, Cam. Like, it just seems like this team doesn't really move off the ball. But yesterday they did. There was a lot they, more yeah. movement. Yeah, they really did. Um, you know, just with I, I know I saw this one like a action with Furkan Korkmaz and Joel and B going back to that dribble handoff. It reminded me of uh, how they used to use uh, JJ Redick uh, back when he was playing on the team. So they they really need to be able to put their put their stars, especially you know they know Ben and Joel in some actions where they can get moving. Because if if you get moving, then you force the defense to make decisions and you can potentially get the defense out of position and just going out of you know i mean just going back to that speed i think glenn robinson the third is going to be very important for this roster like he showed a lot i know you were talking about this yesterday too guy he showed a lot um just in terms of being able to run with ben simmons being able to play uh on the fast break and also being able to knock down open shots. So 
I think Glenn Robinson III is going to be a very key reserve uh, for this team heading into the restart. Yeah, Glenn Robinson III was another guy I was actually about to bring up. Um, I mean, he looked lost. Like, like, let's not sugarcoat it. He looked lost on this team before the league suspension. He had no idea where he was going. He had no idea where he was supposed to be. I mean, he had no idea why he was even here. Like, like let's be real. But yeah. now that he's had this break, he was able to, to have a talk with Brett Brown. And I felt like yesterday we saw real Glenn Robinson III. We right. saw a guy who was right. an athlete, as you mentioned, Cam, who's able to run up and down the floor. And a lot of people forget, Glenn did win a slam dunk contest when yeah. he was in Indiana. Glenn is a athletic, athletic dude. Right. And he's also a solid shooter. Like, a lot of people don't, you know, realize that, too. He shot 40% from deep with the Warriors. That number – best, Yeah, best season. Yeah, this season. Yeah, that number obviously dropped with the Sixers, and it's because, A, he had no idea what his role is. He was going from one end of the country to another, and he was – Small like, sample size. It, it wasn't – he didn't play a whole lot of games or anything. Small sample size. And on top of that, Cam, I mean, when you go from being the number one option on a really, really, really bad Warrior team, and then you're all – I don't know about number one option. He was. I mean, like, especially after you gotta think, especially once they traded D'Angelo Russell to yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, okay, once, okay, once they they traded D'Lo, I mean, okay, all right, fair I mean, enough. I mean, come on, come on, bro, come on, like, point is, number <laughs> one option, then you're going to the bench on a very, very good championship contender Sixer team. A lot of that changes. A lot of it just. It really messes up your flow offensively and messes up your mindset, um, you know, to get out there and, and really want to do anything, really. So I, I really can't blame him or fault him for struggling the way he did. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing how Brett Brown integrates him into this rotation because he has mentioned him a lot. One guy he hasn't mentioned, Cam, really a lot is uh, Alec Burks. Alec yeah, Burks. He, did he he came in later into the game yesterday. He uh yeah, I'm interested to see what they do with him because he he can score. He can, but Burks didn't play until I believe the third quarter yesterday, and he still looks a little lost. Now Alec mentioned that he. No, I think he played some in the uh, second. I thought was it the second quarter? Okay, I'm either pretty way, sure. Yeah. Either way, he came in a little late, and it just it really seemed that. Uh, Brett really doesn't have, like, a clear role for him just yet. Right. We all know Alec is going to handle the ball a little bit. He wants to run the pick and roll with him and Ben. He wants to get Alec attacking to the basket and attacking and getting to the free throw line because we know that's what Alec Burks can do. But it really doesn't seem like, you know, he really has a fit yet on this roster because – yeah. The Sixers all of a sudden are a little deep, if you think about it, because you have the starting they are. You have the starting five, and then after that, you've got Al, and then you've got Furcon, you have Matisse, you have Glenn, and yeah, that, that's, that's already bench. and that's already nine guys I just mentioned. And you're not going to roll with 10, 11 guys in the playoffs. Right, rotation. Yeah, playoff rotation is usually eight, nine players. Right. So yeah. where do you fit Alec Burks? I'm not really sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You're right. It is tough because – 
they do have more depth now with Al Horford on, coming off the bench. Um, you know, they got, like you said, Furkan, got Matisse. So it, it is going to be tough for him to find minutes because it's like, hey, if some of these guys are really fitting well together, then we got our rotation. Like, you know, once you get that rotation, you want to just stick with that rotation. You want to, especially in the playoffs, you want something that's going to consistently work. You don't want to just put something in there um, and be like, okay, like, you know, this isn't the regular season. This isn't like experiment time. This is the time to go with what works and, and, you know, can sit and do it like time and time again. So, uh, you know, we'll see if he gets, if he gets a, you know, defined role here soon. Yeah. It's good. And, and, and like, I hope he does because he is a free agent this off season. So, you know, Alec is going to want to have a role and, you know, and then thrive in that role to be able to set himself up for free agency at the end of October, you know, this time and, and early yeah. November. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's going to be very interesting to kind of see. Um, another thing, Cam, Joel and Al did not play too much together in the preseason opener. And I thought it was very interesting because they really only played at the end of the first quarter. And then those couple like minute or two at the beginning of the second quarter. And then Joel didn't play at all in the, uh, in the second half. It was just, it was kind of Al and, and everybody else. So we both know we're going to see some of the Joel right. and Al pairing, you know, like that's going to happen. Uh, but I really see it now as kind of like the end of the quarter, beginning of the quarter. And that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing is, I, I think that, when you have Joel and Al in there, I, I don't think Ben Simmons can really be in there, right? So, you know, no. you have probably you probably have Shake in there or you have Matisse, you know, Matisse in there as well to really kind of offset thing or Furkan, you know, some some guys who can shoot the ball um around Joel and Al. Because um if you have Ben Simmons in there, then you just really go back to the same problems that you were experiencing before. Um, the bubble began before the restart. So I, I don't think – I think that Joel and Al can coexist. It, it just depends on who is around them. Yeah. And, again, shooting. So you can't have Ben, Al, and, and Joe on the floor together. And as you mentioned, it can't really work. It, just, it, it can't work on the offensive end of the floor. Defensively, it's been great. We all know that. Uh, that pairing, that Joel and Al pairing, are like one of the best defensive pairings in the league per cleaning right. the glass. Like their percentile right. is crazy. But then offensively, they're a wreck. I think their offensive rating is like 101.1. Like, it, it, like it's so bad. And that is where you're going to have to really mix and match where Ben and Joe are on the floor together. Like um, are you going to have Al out there with them? Or you're going to have – uh, is just Ben and Joe, and then take Ben out and put Al in. That's going to be the very, very interesting that where Brett is going to handle a lot of his rotations because even the Joel and Al minutes I saw yesterday really weren't all that encouraging. But I mean, it was only what well, you always said four minutes, so it was only four or five minutes. Four or five minutes, so you know it, it, it's like a you know, small sample size, you know, you, you, you have to see more. You do have to see more. But I, I look at it and, and I'm like, eh, it just, it really didn't like stand out to me. Al really didn't impress me at all. 
I mean, he had five points, five rebounds. Okay. But again, again, small sample size, first scrimmage right. game. You know, I, I, like I'm a big fan of Al Horford. I've said this millions of times on this podcast. He is going to make a difference come playoff time. I don't care what anybody says. Al is going to make a difference. We are built for the playoffs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. SpongeBob me said this roster is built for the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we take Al Horford and push him somewhere else? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, listen, this team believes they're built for the playoffs. I don't I, – I, I'm not on that train. I'm not on that train of the Sixers are going to get it together come playoff time. No, I am not on that train. What I am on the train of, I do still think Al is going to make a difference come playoff time. Just for the simple fact that Cam, he is a five-time All-Star. He's been to the Eastern Conference Finals three times. He is a veteran. He's been a lot more vocal. He's been a leader. And I do believe that that's going to make some type of difference, you know, come playoff time, even in an atmosphere where there's going to be no fans. So I do believe yeah. Al, Al will make a difference in the playoffs. I, 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 at least I think so. No, I mean, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, you know, he, like you said, he's a veteran. He's an experienced dude. Uh, he's been in, you know, key situations in the playoffs. He's, you know, quote unquote, battle tested. So, right. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, he has, he has, you know, that, that pedigree. Uh, and I think he will bring, you know, the, what you, I think he will bring, uh, you know, a nice uh, different layer to the team just because of his experience. Sorry, I was watching Robin Lopez make a three. He does that weird oh, man. that T celebration where he just, you know, puts like his thumb and his pointer finger like together and he just kind of sip like tilts back as if he's sipping tea. So you gotta like throw them like you know, you gotta do the the Mo Gotti, like you know, the Mo Williams like Mo Williams used to do. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, we did like one of these. Yeah. Like yeah. You know, three point celebrations are always fun, man. Like but Robin you Lopez. Gotta do that. Mellow, a mellow, nah, like, yeah. like nah. I, I, I do, I do the Rashid where he kind of like, like checks it, uh -huh. like, like okay. this. After Rashid, I, I always made a three, and okay, now we're kind of done talking Sixers. We kind of have, we kind of made our points and analyzed yesterday's win over Memphis. Now before, before we go, Cam, uh, I was on YouTube, and I'm uh -huh. just kind of. I'm searching through YouTube. I'm just looking for a funny video. Um, but what pops up in my suggestions is the 2005 first round between the 76ers and the Detroit Pistons from game one. And I was like, I'm definitely clicking on this. Like, like is this the whole game? The whole game? I'm definitely watching this. You probably got Rick Roll. No. Full game. I oh, sit, wow. I sit and watched – a two hour, two hour and twenty minute YouTube video of Game One from two thousand and five. Now the Sixers rolled out a starting lineup cam of Allen Iverson, a rookie, oh, yeah. a rookie Andre Iguodala, a second year Kyle Korver, an old man Chris Webber, and Samuel D'Alembert. Oh now, yeah. And then you know Detroit rolled out Billups, Hamilton, Prince, Rashid, and Ben. Yeah. And Philadelphia rolled out. I think they were up like 28 to 12 in the first quarter. And the Sixers are getting out and running and Iverson scoring. Dallin Bears having some, a good start. But then, like, the camera rolled, like, panned over to Larry Brown talking to Chauncey Billups. And I almost kind of could read Brown's 
like lips and Brown says something like kick their fucking ass. And from that point on, Detroit dominated. And they end up winning. They were down like 16 in the first quarter. They end up winning the game by like 20. (laughs) I was like, yo, come on, Larry. How are you going to do that to to your boy, Allen Iverson, like that, man? How are you going to do that? (laughs) It was honestly very interesting, Cam, because I do feel like if Chris Webber, if his knees didn't betray him in 2005, Maybe the Sixers could have at least made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe. You never know. Because I mean his best chance in my opinion wasn't Sacramento, but you know. Yeah. Lakers. You know what? I came across 2007 too. I was actually watching game two last night before I went to bed. The the last game the Pistons won in that series with the Cavaliers. Oh, okay. And you know, Detroit went up 2-0. Um, and Weber, I didn't I forgot Weber was on that team too. I forgot. No. Yeah. That was his end of the road team, and he wore number eighty four. Like what kind oh, of yeah. what kind of random basketball number is that? Like yo, I'm gonna Jack, Jack wore like thirty six with Boston, I think. Yeah, that was weird too. But, but yeah. I, okay, what's the weirdest uniform number you've ever seen though? The like, weird to me, to me it's eighty four. Yeah, eighty four has got yeah yeah. I would say probably eighty four. That's a wide receiver number, man. You over here trying to be. <laughs> Chad Johnson or something. <laughs> or, or what about Nemanja Bielitsa in Sacramento wearing 88? Yeah. Luca, Luca 77 is kind of weird, though, too. Yeah, 77 throws me off. Chris Webber wearing 84 with the Pistons and Bielitsa wearing 88. Like, that's weird. I don't, I don't like these uniform numbers. A basketball uniform number, is, like, you should not go above 50. But in between those numbers – you can't choose like 36. You can't, you can't. Hey, send me, send me Ojale, 37. Yeah, that's weird. I don't like it. <laughs> and then like you, you can't choose 49. Like nobody's going to be like, I'm going to be number 49. Like, no, you can't do it. You can't be, you can't be number 39. Like that's weird. You can't do it. Well, okay. Now what is the best basketball number ever? Of all time? Like pure not even just like based on the player, but just like the number itself, like aesthetically pleasing. For me, it's three. I, I guess, see, I got to roll with three too. I got to roll with three. Now, see, I like three for a couple of reasons though. I mean, Dwayne Wade. Right. And I, I feel like Ben Wallace really rocked that number pretty well too. It's got to be three. Like, if you're three, if you're number three, then you're nice. Like, yeah. yeah. You, you got you to be nice. Think about it. Have you ever th- – like, can you even think about it? anybody who wore number three who was just not good? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, just, I'm really trying to rack my brain now, though. I feel like you challenged me to uh, – I, I feel like somebody on the Knicks wore number three, and he just ruined it for me. <laughs> like, I don't know. Somebody like Mo Harkless or something. <laughs> and, and Mo Harkless is not good. Don't even shake your head. I do eh. – What do you mean? What? Mo Harkless is not – okay. He's he's decent. Like he was good on uh what yeah the Clippers he had a nice role on the Clippers. He's good off your bench, not not starting. Yeah. Okay, I mean yeah, someone's got to start on the Knicks. I mean, fair, you know, fair. I can roll. All right, I'll give you that. I can roll up and start on the Knicks. Like <laughs> somebody's got to start. I mean, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Someone's got to play. I mean, come on. He said, 
He said, we got to do something, bro. <laughs> 85, probably more than 85% of the league could start on the Knicks right now. Honestly, uh, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Like, like, you're, like, you're not wrong. All right, then here, look. I'm going to end off today's podcast with one question to you. Just give me, give me one answer. One question, Cam. And I know we've talked about this before, but I, I, I don't want any analytics or anything. Oh, here, okay. What, what, what's, the, what's the question? Who was a worse team, the 07 Cavs or the 18 Cavs? It's just – Bro, I'm going to roll up the 18. Oh, my God. Okay. Dude, I'm going 18. Like – All right, all right. At least, the, look, the 07 Cavs play hard, okay? All right, all right. They, like, they did, they, they did. All right, okay. 18 was just a mess. <laughs> Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson had legitimate rotation minutes for an NBA Finals team. That's that's just pretty bad. All right, guys, we're gonna wrap it up. Let's there again. Reminder: We are on Apple. We are on Spotify. Check out SixersWired.com. And reminder that the Sixers play tomorrow, Sunday afternoon, against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Check out SixersWired.com for all of your game coverage. So for Cameron Fields, I'm Kai Carlin. We're out. See you guys next time on the Bell Ringer.